Welcome to the Hospitality Forward podcast with listeners in more than 160 countries worldwide. My name is Hannah Lee. I am president and founder of Hannah Lee Communications, an award-winning global PR agency specialized in hospitality and travel. And I'm Michael Anstendig, editor-in-chief of Hannah Lee Communications, as well as the award-winning co-author of The Japanese Art of the Cocktail and The Food and Beverage Writer. Helping the community has always been part of our agency's mission. We understand that a lot of business owners, bartenders, chefs, sommeliers, and others might not have the resources to hire a PR agency. We believe everyone has a story to share, so we created our podcast where our listeners can get to know leading reporters and writers and start building relationships. Each week, these top journalists from around the globe share their practical advice on how hospitality and travel industry professionals can be featured in their stories. In fact, one of our loyal listeners got featured in the New York Times after listening to our podcast and following our media guest tips. So, you could be next. In addition, we give away a copy of our agency's book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail, to a listener who shares how our podcast helped them tell their story to the media. Simply email us at hello at hanaleecommunications.com, have hospitality forward in the subject line, and share the tip that you learned. And now, on with the show. In this episode, we're delighted to chat with Chloe Frechette. Chloe is the deputy editor of Punch, where she's worked since 2016 and covers cocktails and spirits. Chloe is the author of the book, Easy Tiki, A Modern Revival with 60 Recipes, and has a master's degree in the history of design from the Royal College of Art, where she earned distinction for her research on the material culture of cocktail consumption. Hi, Chloe. Welcome to the show. It's so nice to see you. Nice to see you both, too. Thanks for having me. So, Chloe, let's start from the beginning. So, how did you get into journalism? I would say I got into cocktails first. Um, my interest in cocktails began, first and foremost, with an interest in the design of bars, and specifically barware in the 1920s and 30s. It's very specific. <laughs> um that interest kind of inevitably and naturally evolved into an interest in what goes into the glass as much as the glass itself. And so um, I don't have a journalism background, um, but I had, you know, an academic background and required a lot of writing and research. What drew me to Punch was the way it took a very narrative approach to drinking culture and nightlife, you know, showing that Drinking culture is every bit as rich and story worthy as food, which was miles ahead of, of, you know, drinks in terms of the coverage it was getting. So I, I basically, when I got out of grad school, I cold called punch <laughs> or cold emailed, I guess. Um, so I started actually as an intern, um, and just sort of. My whole kind of journalistic point of view has been shaped by working at Punch. And I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> I've learned a lot. And I, I really kind of wanted to work there because I respected their sort of journalistic approach. So um, now I'm the deputy editor. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners about Punch overall and how it differs from other publications 
in the drink space? One of the things I think separates us is just our sort of storytelling drive. And we try to use um, not just cocktail culture, but drinking culture more broadly and even nightlife as a lens, like to tell, you know, human stories and cultural stories. Um, there's, there's, there's so much to it, but I think um, what sets us apart is kind of our ability to tell those stories. And that's not just through writing and editing, but also I think our art direction, um, which is um, Lizzie Monroe is our art director. And she plays a huge part in kind of bringing these stories to life. And the way I see it, that's kind of what separates us. So from intern to deputy editor, so what does your role entail and how does your position differ from being an editor? As deputy editor, um, I still do a fair amount of editing stories, um, but I also have um, our wonderful associate editor, Mary Porto, um, who handles really the bulk of editing these days. Um, So I'm sort of more day-to-day trying to grow the brand and sort of monitor its voice, I guess you could say, um, making sure that everything we put out feels true to punch, um, feels like it has our distinctive point of view. Um, and that a lot of that happens, you know, in kind of the story, not so much the editing, but in working with the team to decide like, is this a punch story? Does this, is this going to resonate with our readers? Um, I see that as one of my main responsibilities as deputy editor. So what makes something a punch story? Um, I think one thing that I notice a lot when we get pitches is that um, people, I guess some of the stories that we say no to the most are those that don't feel like they would be relevant for a national audience. So a lot of pitches we get feel like they'd be better suited to a more localized publication. So we have readers across the country. We have obviously a bunch of international readers too, but it has to have that sort of national appeal. And it's a little bit nebulous to be like, it has to have this, 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 and this. But, you know, one thing we think about is like, okay, there are pretty much like every day there's a new great opening or new, you know, um, bartender doing something exciting. And we just kind of have to ask ourselves, does this, is it really unique? are they the only ones doing this or what is unique about what they're doing? And then will it appeal broadly? I think those are like kind of two main criteria. And like I've mentioned before, just having that really sort of narrative hook. Is there something more we can say about it other than this is happening? Um, So it has to have, you know, that kind of extra layer to it. And also, we love working with some of your writers. So how many freelancers do you currently work with? And what is the criteria for selecting them? Because I know a lot of freelancers want to write for a punch. Yeah, you know, I don't actually know. There's exactly how many we work with. It's a kind of a database that grows. We want it to continue to grow. Um there's not like a criteria for a freelancer that will say yes or no to. It really comes down to the idea that's being pitched. And also sometimes we'll get a pitch that isn't quite right, but we like the idea and we're you know willing to work with them to kind of get the angle and make it work. So like, and I, people always email us and say, 
oh, are you willing to take pitches? And the answer is always yes. Like we are always open to hearing pitches. That's our dream. We want to hear them all. Um, I think the good place to start is to kind of, we have some basic guidelines on punch. We have sort of a pitch guide, but um, just kind of understanding the stories we do want and those we don't want. And those are outlined sort of in our pitch guide, but then being able to present your idea very clearly and concisely, that just comes down to the fact that, you know, every editor gets a million emails a day and you want to just be able to get your idea across very concisely. And then that will start the conversation. For our listeners, could you tell us about Punch's various editorial sections, like from columns to buying guides and more? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, like I said, a lot of our, what we do is narrative, but we do also do some kind of recommendation driven features. And um, a lot of those are meant to be sort of evergreen guides to maybe a spirit category, for instance, um, because we want, you know, and then those are something that we would update, you know, regularly to make sure that when people are searching for them, they land on a page that's still relevant. So we do have that sort of recommendation driven side to the site. We have an enormous recipe database, um, which we're very proud of because those are all recipes directly from bartenders we we love and trust. And I think that's actually one of the most exciting parts of our website. Um, and then kind of the newest side to punch, I guess you could say, is a newsletter called Pre-Shift. This is something that we launched in August of 2023 with uh, or in collaboration with Eater, which is our sibling publication. Um, Pre-Shift, it's a bi-weekly newsletter and it's covering the latest industry intel and trends directly from people in the trade. So chefs, bartenders, producers, etc. Um, so we've covered topics like the economics of the hyper-local cocktail. We covered that with the team at Post Haste in Philadelphia, which sources all of their ingredients from east of the Mississippi. And with that send, we really wanted to show other people in the trade that, you know, if you want to take this approach with, you know, this very sustainability minded approach and source from within a certain radius, the economic cost is very similar to if you used, you know, imported ingredients, if you can kind of think about how that breaks down. So it was like a really exciting send to have. Um, the team at Post Haste literally break down their costs for other people in the trade just to have a frame of reference. Because I think a lot of people just assume that that's, you know, too much of a hurdle. So that was a recent send that I thought was great. We've talked with Death & Co. about how to expand a brand without sort of losing quality control. Um, and we launched with a send from John DeBerry, um, you know, author of Drink What You Want. His newsletter was really fun. It was about embracing the sort of more playful side of cocktails and not being so serious about it. Um, so so pre-shift is one arena where we're very interested to hear from trades since this is really for them. And we want to know what topics are they interested in hearing more about, like what feels important to them. So we do have um, an email address for that for anyone who wants to sort of reach out about that. It's pre-shift at voxmedia.com. But we also, if you want to subscribe, if listeners want to subscribe, 
um, they can do that on punch by hitting the subscribe button on the homepage that will lead them to pre-shift. But that's like one of the arenas I'm most excited for punch to have kind of, um, or to just be working on right now, because it's really a direct line to trade and, um, it's, it's an exciting space. So speaking of reads, one of our favorite weekend reads is, uh, the newsletter, five things to drink and read this weekend. So how do you pick the articles that appear in it? It's really like, I mean, everyone who works at Punch is very much plugged into the space. So it's like, it's pretty organic. I think we we do have a Slack channel where we pretty much throughout the week are dropping, you know, relevant stories to each other. I mean, it's kind of what we would do anyway, even if we didn't do this newsletter, just because it's, we kind of live and breathe it. So, um, and then it's just a matter of whoever, whatever editor is in charge of that week's send, you know, what were the ones from you know, the numerous stories that stood out as the most compelling, the most funny, or, you know, just the most relevant. So it's kind of a team effort, but then whoever's send it is gets to kind of play curator. Just out of curiosity about uh, Punch's content, what percentage of the stories come from the Punch team versus stories that are pitched by freelancers and industry newsmakers? Um, it definitely tilts more towards... Um, punch coming up with topics um and assigning out i would say maybe 60 40 so it's not too far off um i think a lot of our regular contributors and um honestly first time contributors get what we're about and they they come up with a story idea and they know that it's a punch story or that they want it to be a punch story and they're usually right or we're able to get it there we have, you know, weekly, weekly pitch meetings. Um, and whatever comes out of that, we assign to someone we think would handle it best. And then 40% comes from freelancers. And it is a mix of, you know, regular contributors and first time writers. And like I said, really do encourage first time pitchers to do so. So then for bartenders and bar owners who want to be featured in Punch, should they pitch their editorial team first or pitch freelancers who contribute to Punch? I would say pitch us directly um, because we can help if they kind of pitch us with what they're doing, what, what your approach is, then we can like see whether there's something there or not. Even if it's maybe not, you know, the best written email, like we're, we're able to kind of at least start a conversation um, and see whether it can lead somewhere. So I I like hearing directly from people in the trade about what they're doing, because even if it doesn't lead to a story, it might be putting something new on my radar that eventually, you know, maybe there's nothing on the menu right now or their approach isn't something that we would cover at this moment, but it's a place we can then watch. And, you know, then that line of communication is open, which is always a good thing. Overall, how do you decide if a story idea is something newsworthy and something that's, you know, deserving of coverage? Something that I, I didn't mention before is that we also want to make sure that someone else hasn't covered it. And if they have covered it, that if we were to also cover it, are we saying something new? So that's one thing. It's like sometimes we get pitched something that's been covered to death and we don't feel like we can add anything to the conversation. Um, but then, like I said earlier, we have to feel like our readers are going to 
respond to it, like on a national level. Um, and it has to feel like whatever the topic is, whatever, if it's a bar or something, it has to have, it really has to feel singular. Like, so something you may have noticed is that we don't actually do that many like single bar profiles or single producer profiles on punch. And that's partly because we have to feel like to kind of get that treatment, there really does have to be a super compelling story that feels like, oh my gosh, only this one place is doing this. And, and that's like quite rare. And so more, more commonly we'll look at a trend that's happening across many places, you know? So, and I actually, I think that that usually tells you a little bit more about what's going on on like the macro level anyway. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people kind of, I will say like we do get pitches about a bar opening or something and it might be a super great bar. It often is a super great bar. Um, but there needs to be that extra level. And that's like a tough thing to capture by only focusing on one bar. So because, you know, so I feel like the treatment we tend to do is to show how a trend is kind of popping up across the country or something like that. So speaking of bars, so we very much enjoyed reading Punch's Best Bars of 2023. How do you assemble this kind of list? And what are the criteria for being included? That's a really good question. Um, so 2023 was actually the first year we decided to create a list of the best new bars. Um, we've done in the past, we've done sort of previews where we're like, here's what's coming and here's what we're looking forward to. But this is the first time we really kind of like planted a flag and said, these are the best new bars. Um, and so we decided to go about it in our own way. Like what we decided to do is to highlight bars that were not only great, obviously, and that's the first criteria, but that felt representative of this particular moment in cocktail culture and nightlife culture. So we started by compiling bars that like stood out to our editorial team, but we also tapped our network of contributors and industry friends across the country for bars that stood out to them too. And so we, you know, we collected this big pool of potential candidates and we just began to kind of zero in and notice trends that were happening across bars and, and then kind of were able to, from there to zoom into bars that felt most representative of those trends. Um, and so collectively, like basically each bar that we featured, we only featured five, um, felt like, you know, like I've touched on story worthy in its own right, but then collectively offered a snapshot of what's driving cocktail culture forward right now. We have a bar in Kansas City, Wild Child, that's doing some really exciting things in the non-alcoholic space. And then some of the bars we featured also kind of represented this pendulum swinging away from very serious cocktail bars to a more laid back atmosphere that still serve drinks of like the highest caliber. So all of these trends are captured in the bars that we featured. And so, yeah, it was just basically this was a way for us to put the punch point of view on the best of list. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. I can't wait to do it again this year. Um, and yeah, that's that was sort of how we landed on those bars. Well, we, we, we can't wait to read the next one. And let's drill down a little bit into uh, the, the, the trend aspect. 
there was a great story on maximalist cocktails and how cocktail trends don't seem to come and go. You know, rather they tend to persist and kind of layer upon each other year after year. <laughs> so do you see this trend persisting in 2024 or do you see other trends kind of overriding this initial trends? Yeah. So that the trend that you're talking about is sort of the trend of all trends happening at once, which is it's really hard to imagine getting out of this because I, I don't know. I think the only way you kind of get out of this is to really kind of go back in time almost, which is something I kind of see happening and could see happening. You know, some of the bars that I, I just mentioned on our best new bars list, like um, Room for Improvement in Portland, Maine, I think is a good example. Um, these sort of like going back to basics is is a way that I see, I mean, that in itself is a trend, but like I see those kinds of bars that, you know, you walk into them and you feel like, okay, I'm at, I'm at a bar. And it's just like, you're like, okay, and I know all of these drinks on the menu. They have, you know, there's an espresso martini, there's a dirty martini, there's a Negroni. You see all of these classics and you're like, oh, okay, I, I see what's happening here. But then, you know, that, that's sort of on some level, you see a lot more bars opening like that. But then behind the scenes, you know, they're still, they're still drawing on this like 20 plus years of other trends. And they're just, they're still there. They might not be as in your face. So yeah, I think even as the pendulum swings towards like a back to basics approach, if you look <laughs> a little deeper, you're still going to see all these other things that have been going on for 20 plus years. They're still there. So I don't know. It's a little bit hard to predict where we're going, but um, I don't see us moving away from this. I would say it's going to be maybe a more subtle maximalism. So, Chloe, our, our podcast is very global. We have listeners in more than 160 countries. And we were very excited to read your feature on Chan Shifang, a bar in Taiwan. So how does this bar get on your radar? And um, does Punch plan to expand its international coverage? So this was an example of a first-time writer pitching us with this bar that was not on our, on our radar prior to, um, to her bringing it to our attention. And it's also an example of, you know, a single bar focused profile, essentially, which, like I said, we don't do that often. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, there's something like this that comes onto our radar that warrants this treatment. And um, I was so happy to be pitched this story. Um, you know, this, this bar in Taipei is you know, meets all the criteria for this treatment. It really is singular, um, particularly in being so proudly Taiwanese, you know, down to the drinks they serve, which are all like homegrown spirits. And so we were like, when we got this email, we were so captivated. We were like, yes, 100%. Um, and it's the story is compelling, regardless of where it is. Um, so that that was like, okay, yes, this is in a part of the world where we don't have a huge audience, but the story feels like universal in a way. And in terms of whether Punch is sort of expanding our coverage, I mean, we it's really case by case. Um, we don't really have like a, a plan to be like, oh, okay, we're going to really try and plant our flag here. But as coverage warrants, we're more than happy to to tackle these kinds of stories. 
when our bartenders, bar owners, and spirits brand owners are ready to pitch their stories to Punch, what are your some practical do's and don'ts that you can share with us? Yeah, I think um, one of the big things for Punch specifically is it's important to understand that the narrative element is is kind of what sets us apart. So understanding that there needs to be more to the pitch than this thing exists or this thing is great. What is different about it? What is unique about it? Um, and to help sort of understand what we're looking for, we do have um, a pitch guide on our website. And I think that's basically probably the best place to start. Just be like, okay, this is what we are and aren't looking for. And then a sort of one that sounds kind of silly, but I feel like it's important to not get the name of the person or publication wrong when you're emailing because that just becomes very clear that you've copy and pasted this. <laughs> you're sending it out there. You haven't really considered how this might really work as a punch story. And then something else too that I think is important to understand is that there isn't really sort of like a magic formula to a good pitch there it just needs to the idea needs to be there and sort of a show showcase your idea in a very clear and concise manner and i think being concise is really important i usually suggest no more than two short paragraphs for for the pitch so you know explain the idea including kind of the thesis um and then explain why you're the person to write it or if you're a, a bartender or a bar owner reaching out you don't have to be the one to write it. So that might not apply. You can have this idea and, you know, we can be the ones to find the person to tell the story. But if you're a freelancer pitching, explain why you're the person to write it. Uh, one of our favorite aspects of Punch is its stellar photography. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Lizzie Monroe at the beginning of our show. And I have to say, I love, love Lizzie's photo. And I think she's been in, have done incredible work for Punch over the years. And what makes Punch also special, as you mentioned, the photography. Yeah, it's it, it's humbling as a writer, but I have to say the, the visual component of storytelling is just as important as the literary side. So we, we see that you do accept photos from outside uh, photographers. So what are the guidelines and what should people keep in mind? So that's um, basically... Any photography that we have on the site um, and illustrations, too, that, that don't have Lizzie's byline are someone Lizzie's specifically asked to to work for us. Um, so this is, I mean, Lizzie, as the art director, she's obviously an incredible photographer. She shoots as much as she can in New York, but she's also responsible for shaping the art direction, even when she's not behind the camera. So she has grown this network of photographers and illustrators in every market that we've covered. Um, and again, that's a database that's growing just like our freelancer database. And we, we do have, um, people reach out and say, I'm, I'm interested in shooting or, or illustrating for you. And that will always get, um, or at least I know Lizzie does her best to respond to all of those. Oftentimes it does lead to work, not, 100% of the time, it obviously depends on what stories we're working on. But again, like our, our inbox is totally open for that as well, because, you know, it's, it's only a good thing to have <laughs> the database grow, you know, we want to be in as many markets as possible. So, but yeah, that's, that's another, uh, another place where I would encourage just reaching out. 
Yeah, so now let's talk about social media. In your opinion, what platforms do you find the most effective for your doing your work? I personally spend the most time on Instagram. Um, I am on TikTok as well. I, I don't post, but I <laughs> I lurk. Um, I guess one of the things that I appreciate about Instagram is that there's more of an opportunity for whoever's posting to to write more of a caption and, you know, share a recipe and a little bit of the backstory quite easily. It's, you know, definitely where I communicate the most with bartenders. Um, I do have a little pet peeve, which is for bar owners. <laughs> I wish that you would put the location of your bar in the bio, because as someone who spends a lot of time looking at what bars are up to, on Instagram, it drives me crazy to not know where your bar is. And then I have to go and Google it. And then it's a common name. And I don't know if I found the right bar. So it's just a little I wish every bar would put their city and their state or their country, whatever in the bio. <laughs> yeah, it seems very basic, but uh, it's it's crucial. So what 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 other advice would you have for uh, bartenders and owners to uh, improve their social presence? I do think it's helpful to use the the space you're allotted in the caption. You know, if you post a drink, you know, more than just the name or say something about it, because I think um, I know it can, you know, not everyone has all the time in the world and not everyone has a social media team. But, you know, knowing that editors like myself at, you know, all sorts of publications are on Instagram a lot. And this might be how they're learning about your bar. It might just be that the algorithm put this on their feed, it is an opportunity to say something. So use that space to say something, What even if it is just a description of what that drink is. I think that that's important too. I mean, I agree with you because Instagram has that space where you can write to express who you are and what you are. So that's one of the reasons actually when we launched our HSC Bartender Scholarship, we ask our bartenders to submit their essay on their Instagram channel and tell the story why they chose their, you know, bartending as their career. And when you look at this entry and story on Instagram, it's almost like feel like a reading an essay. So yeah, I, I do understand why you are um, emphasizing that elements. So we are with you. Yeah, yeah, it's a good place. It, I think opportunities come out of it that you may not expect. So definitely use use the space you're given. So, Chloe, we call our podcast Hospitality Forward because we celebrate individuals and companies that are making an impact through innovation. Is there anyone or organization you'd like to shout out? Um, ooh, there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot. Um, so much of that, I think, is represented by a younger generation on the bartending side that are, you know, they're hungry for new ways to approach hospitality and cocktails. And that was something that stood out to me as a thread among the bartenders we featured um, in Best New Bartenders in 2023. This is sort of an annual um, roundup that we do of like really talented bartenders um, across the country um, who stand out for one reason or another. And from this class of 2023, we had a bartender, Han Suk Cho, who works at Cato in Los Angeles. And she's doing some really exciting non-alcoholic drinks. She does foolproof cocktails as well, but I was really sort of taken with 
her her creativity on the non-alcoholic side. And I think in general, some of the most creative drinks I've encountered lately have been in the non-alcoholic sphere. Um, that feels like, you know, kind of the wild, wild west right now. Bartenders are, you know, throwing out the rule book and kind of leaving behind these familiar blueprints that have informed basically every modern cocktail. Um, you know, so instead of trying to create a non-alcoholic Negroni, a non-alcoholic Manhattan, I feel like these bartenders who are interested in the non-alcoholic sphere are maybe building off of just a single flavor, a single ingredient, or a more abstract jumping off point. And the result is like these really ingredient-driven cocktails that feel fresh and exciting and they're starting to possess like a real point of view. So even though the whole non-alcoholic category is still finding its feet, it's one of the more exciting spaces to watch. I mean, you know, we remember several years ago, we launched Seedlip, the non-alcoholic spirits. And look at now what's happening. We thought it was going to be maybe a trend, but then now it's not a trend, it's a movement. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Seedlip really did sort of launch it into the mainstream and it's been really an exciting evolution since then. So for those who want to be on the best new bartender list, what do they need to do to be considered? The, <laughs> the best tip is to apply. <laughs> so you can be, you can um, nominate yourself or you, someone can nominate you. But when the time comes around, um, we will, I mean, basically, if you follow Punch, you'll see on Instagram, there'll be a post on our homepage as well, on actually on all of our social channels. Um, you know, several months before we actually launch, um, we open up the the nomination process and you can, it's more than okay. In fact, highly encouraged to self-nominate. You got to be in it to win it. Exactly. Yeah. Don't be afraid to promote yourself. That's, that's the takeaway from that. <laughs> Just like many bartenders for our jobs, we all travel so much. So for you, what destination is on your bucket list to visit and why? So I do have some trips planned um, that are not specifically cocktail focused. I am going to be, um, I'm actually going to be visiting for the first time Madison, Wisconsin. It was on our um, where to drink in 2023 list, a city I've never been to. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of like check in on it. Um, but on my kind of wish list, and I, I do have plans for 2025, if you can believe it, to go here is melbourne australia so i've i've never been to australia and that actually melbourne was also on our <laughs> i'm a year late to all of our <laughs> where to drink destinations but i'm also going to be going to paris this summer where and i have not been there in years and i know a lot has changed kind of in the the drinking scene there so i have a lot of catching up to do so so chloe what what's your favorite cocktail and why and who would you like to share it with this is a really fun one. I um my favorite cocktail it changes, but I would say kind of one I come back to a lot is the Little Italy, which um Audrey Saunders created this drink. It's one of my go-tos especially this time of year um or at least you know when it's a little colder out. It's basically a Manhattan with a little bit of chinar in it and I would love to share one with Audrey um because She's one of the most, I think, quietly influential figures in the modern cocktail revival. Um, her, her bar, Pegu Club, 
feel like the influence of Pegu Club can't be overstated, particularly like in the bartenders she trained who have gone on to continue to shape cocktail culture, not just in New York, but across the country. And I've been fortunate to meet Audrey and chat with her, but you know, she's not one for the limelight and it would be a real privilege to, you know, hear her thoughts on the current state of the bar world and um, while enjoying a modern classic that she's responsible for. That would be cool. We love Audrey. And if you don't mind, can I crash the party? <laughs> jo- join you for a drink with Absolutely. Audrey and you, please. That would be my dream. Absolutely. I mean, I think what Audrey has done for our community is absolutely incredible. And, um, you know, she's been a, such a role model for so many people and she has inspired so many people like us. So, you know, I feel like we owe her a, a cocktail or two, definitely. At the very least, she's, she, she's a legend. She is. So in, in terms of cocktails, I mean, everyone's been talking about the espresso martini. Do you think it's jumped the shark at this point? Or do you think, you know, what do you think is going to take its place as the next hit cocktail? That's tough. <laughs> um, I will say, I think even if there is not an espresso martini on every menu, I still think we're going to see some sort of caffeinated coffee cocktail still. And I think that's just sort of the tail of the trend, maybe. It's not going to be explicitly an espresso martini. Um, but I do think we're going to see some maybe low ABV classics try and vie for the the spotlight a little bit. Um, I don't know if we're going to, you know, have 2024 is going to be the year of the bamboo, but maybe <laughs> I think we're going to see, you know, those kind of maybe overlooked low ABV classics kind of rise in the ranks. Before we wrap up, what is the best way for our listeners to reach you? I'm like I said, I'm quite active on Instagram. So you can DM me there. I try to respond when I can. My handle there is Chloe Frechette, which I'll spell C H L O E F R E C H E T T E. That's just my full name. And then punch is just punch underscore drink. That's our Instagram handle. Also, email. Um, if you email editorial at punchdrink.com, that's going to go to all the editors of Punch and probably the best way to get eyes on it goes to me as well. So that's probably the best way to reach us. Great. Thank you so much for the information. And thank you so much for chatting with us, Chloe. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Now, that was a spirited chat with Chloe. Now that you know what Chloe's looking for, please feel free to reach out to her and introduce yourself. And don't forget to mention that you heard her on our Hospitality Forward podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Also, for all media guests to date, you can find their information and episodes on our agency's website, www.analeecommunications.com. Until then, join us as we move hospitality forward together.